You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You don't have to be a machine learning engineer to help make the future a smarter place. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, Halloween is almost upon us. Uh, my five-year-old is going to be a butterfly wearing a mask that may not be trick-or-treating. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see as we get a little closer, maybe. Uh, how, about, how about your kids? Uh, well, the nine-year-old's excited. We got him a costume. He wants to be Possessed Pumpkin. We went to the store, and that's what he picked out. And uh, it is, it's, it's a good, it's a good uh, costume. He's now into the scary stuff. He wants to scare people. And um, whether we go out, uh, probably, I think, around here, there's one street that closed that has a big deal every year. But if we do, usually when we go out with him, we, you just wear a mask, and, and that sort of gives us a sense of safety. But I, I think we'll probably try it. And, and your younger guy? He's four, and he um, he just kind of isn't really there yet. He's just not into wearing anything. He doesn't wear a jacket. like So we have a problem getting him out in winter, let alone in a costume. <laughs> He'll just tag along and chase Gabriel up and, up and down the street. Uh, that, that'll be his thing. He'll have a good time, too. So to bring this back to ETFs, uh, Eric, this year, like every year, there are closures. And so we're going to talk about the ETF graveyard this episode. Yeah, um, the, it's, a free, it's a great term for it. There's over 1,100 ETFs that are dead. Rest in peace. That's one in every four launches basically dies. This year has been particularly brutal. Uh, there's been about 212 closures, um, and that is already a record by about 50, right? So this is more than ever. And really the difference this year was what we call exotics, leverage ETPs and ETNs, which normally make up a certain percentage are really punching above their weight in closures. And that's because March wiped a bunch of them out because the volatility was just too strong. And so a lot of the issues are like, you know what, we got to get out of here. Um, so that's really the difference maker this year, but there's always closures. I mean, this is an industry with a lot of cash coming in. So you get a lot of spaghetti getting thrown on the wall and a lot of the stuff doesn't make it. And joining us to talk about the closures, Todd Rosenbluth, who's the director of ETF research at CFRA, also regular on the show as well as Claire Ballantyne, who's back with us as well. She's a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg News. This time on Trillions, the ETF Graveyard. Todd, Claire, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for having us. Todd, I want to start with you. What jumps out to you about the 2020 Graveyard? I think there's a couple of key themes. Eric touched on leveraged uh, products and ETNs, and we can come back to that. But the traditional ETF products, I think there's two main things that were happening. One is Invesco, which has made a number of acquisitions, including Guggenheim and Oppenheimer funds in the last few years. They culled their their lineup, and there's a lot of overlap between what they acquired and what they had that was successful. So we saw a number of products earlier in the year get cut out of the overall lineup. And that's a good thing, I think, for the overall industry. And then secondly, uh, and we can dive deeper into all of this, 
is there was a wave of launching currency hedged ETFs a few years back. Uh, this was back when Wisdom Tree was having success with DXJ uh, Hedge Japan and HEDJ, the Hedge Europe product. Everybody wanted a piece of that pie. Money didn't go in. It takes a couple of years later. Now the products are closing. iShares, Wisdom Tree, DWS, all those firms were closing a large number of these uh, currency hedge products. Yeah, and let me jump in and say also the minimum vol. Low, low vol and currency hedge became like this fad. I call it a craze. Todd doesn't like that term. But when like something that makes up 2% of the assets start taking like 20% of the flows, what you have is a rush of products. And like here, here's some that iShares closed this year. Listen to this. Currency hedged Italy. I mean, there's barely anybody buying the regular Italy ETF. Currency hedged Australia. Um, they also had a minimum vol Japan. I mean, some of these, they just went one step too far and they know it and they've, you know, reined it in a little bit. And I think that's, you see that most years, I think. Claire, what's, what jumped out to you as you sort of looked into everything here? Yeah, what was interesting to me is the fact that a lot of these bigger asset managers and issuers were closing funds. I think there's this narrative about, you know, smaller issuers really struggling uh, against these bigger players. And so, you know, one might expect that a lot of the smaller and more niche funds were closing. But when I'm looking at the list of funds that closed, a lot of it is these these bigger players um, that seems like they can sort of, you know, try out these strategies. And if it doesn't work, then they can close them, um, especially with Invesco closing so many of them. Um, and then the other thing that I thought was interesting was really those leverage products in the ETNs. And, you know, this year has just been so volatile and crazy in general. And it seems like after what we saw in March, that really, um, you know, put into stark relief what some of these funds actually did and their performance. It's interesting you say that because we did notice in, I think it was 2014 or 2015, um, when BlackRock closed their first fund, I believe it was called Alt. It was an alternative fund. Ever since then, the number of closures just jumped up. I think people saw, well, if BlackRock will close a fund, then there's no shame in it anymore. There's no stigma. And I think that's a great point. I think, and I, there really shouldn't be. If you, if you have no assets and no one cares and the spreads widen out, just just get rid of it. Although on the flip side, the other voice would say, well, sometimes you need to hang on for three or four years for your moment in the sun because we've seen a couple of times where an ETF that is in the graveyard, like the short squeeze ETF, for example, would have been having a great year this year if it had just hung on. So there's two conflicting messages there with when to throw in the towel. Yeah, remember, we used to have another airline ETF. Uh, that's out there, FAA. Uh, that would have been a good product given you guys have covered how uh, JETS has performed and, and got the assets. It would have been nice to have a competitor in that space, but we we no longer have that. So actually, I, I, want, I want to add a little context here, it, which is, and you kind of hinted at it a little bit there, Eric, but let's, let's just be clear for it, clear about it for people. How, how many closures have we had this year and how does that compare in context to previous years? Is, is 2020 an anomaly or is this part of a trend that there's just more calling every year? So if you look at the chart, it, it's a trend. I mean, it's been building up and the spread between launches and closures have, has been coming down. In other words, closures has made that spread smaller. Uh, that said, this year is, a, is an outlier. I mean, you're already way past the record. I mean, what are you, 20, 30% past the record already? So to me, this year is an outlier, but it also is part of the trend of more closures every year starting in about 
2013-14. Like I said, I I think that iShares ETF closing kind of kicked off a lot. Plus, the industry is getting older. And how many of the closures this year are pandemic-related, do you think? I would say in in all time, leverage ETFs make up about 19, 18% of all closures, even they only make up like 2% of the assets. So they definitely punch above their weight in closures, but this year they've made up 24%. ETNs normally make up about 15% of the closures. They made up 19% this year. So I think those were really busted up in March. I think March, these leverage ETFs have to reset every day. And when the markets limit up, limit down, resetting really messes up their math. It messes up what they're trying to do. And I think if you took March out and you made, and March never happened and it was like a normal year, I don't think those would have closed. Then I think we would be more at the 150 level. But there's been about 50 leverage ETFs that I think specifically closed because of the pandemic and what it did in March with uh, the uh, volatility. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think especially from those issuers like Direction and ProShares, you know, there wouldn't really be a, an impetus or a reason to close these funds, you know, at a certain time. But after the March volatility that we saw, that really, you know, led to that. I think we're also seeing is that the firms that are not closing the leverage and the ETN products, firms like Global X, uh, firms like Wisdom Tree, Direction that's doing it for their non-leverage products, is what they're also launching. So we've seen Global X increase the number of thematic oriented ETFs. So it's not surprising that they close some of their smart beta products that haven't been as popular. Um, you know, we, we've seen it with other firms that are doing this as well. Direction has had success with their work from home ETF and thematic products. So, you know, they close a suite of these relative weight products a little bit faster than we had expected. But it's, it's just hard to be able to compete and have a broad lineup without enough assets in them. And so we're seeing asset managers call the herd a little bit to focus on where their priorities are going in the future instead of where it was three years ago. Okay, Todd, I have a really basic question for you, which is, say I own something and it closes, what happens to my money? So it's really not that big a deal. It's a, it's a little bit of a big deal in that you are forced into the sale and there's a capital gain implication and a tax implication. Basically, it was sold. And that if you held on until the last trading day, then you actually will get the money that's there. It's probably not a good decision. When you hear that your ETF is closing, it's probably worthwhile to just exit the position so that you're trading when there actually is other people that might be trading as well. And there's redemptions that can take place. And thankfully, in the ETF industry, there's often two or three or four other products that are in the broad style. They may not be the same. And and we certainly at CFRA think it matters what's inside. But there are other products that are out there. Yes, you couldn't buy a currency hedged Italy product, but you could still buy Italy or you could buy a currency hedged Europe product in the case of that iShares example that Eric offered. Um, And Todd, though, uh, we should also mention, let's say you don't do anything like you. You don't even get the notice that your ETF is closing. You know, you're out to lunch. (laughs) What happens is the ETF will then redeem the, the assets and then send you a check, basically. Now, you could have capital gains to deal with. I think that's probably the worst case scenario. Would you agree? Yeah, it's that's the worst case scenario is that if you've held this for a while, um, you, you will get a capital gain implication and then you'll have to find something else to do with your money. But there'll be other choices that are out there. But it, I think we as an industry fear these 
uh, ETFs that are closing. They get a lot of attention from a closure rate, uh, but they're closing for the reasons that there's just not a lot of money in that. So it's not impacting that many investors. As you mentioned, most of the products that are closing are under 25 million in assets overall. Yeah, well, on on the topic of finding other options for your money, um, I think it's interesting too that this year we still have seen a ton of ETF launches. Um, the data that we have is 218 funds that started trading, and so you know, if one of these funds closes, there really are so many more options, and I think that also points to you know maybe the future of closures is if so many more funds are launching, you know, the ETF rule has made it easier, then, you know, I think that the rate of closures could even continue to be, you know, could move up and lockstep with how many launches there are. Yeah, I mean, I think so too. And I think it's fine. I once read a stat that 99% of apps that are launched close. So ETFs are 25%. It's not as bad as apps, at least yet. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about other notable closures. Eric, what, what's another one that you, that you noticed? Well, uh, you know, we went over to the NC17 crowd is what I call the velocity shares. TVIX, UWT. I mean, these are beloved by the Robinhood crowd and they lost a lot of their playthings, but they found other ones in like TQQQ and, and those kind of uh, ETFs. But TVIX was probably, if I could be wrong, but the biggest ETF ever to delist and probably the most traded. I mean, the thing was... Very, very uh, robust and used. I have a feeling Janice was just like, e we don't really want to be involved in this all the time anymore. And they closed that out. Janice also closed two theme ETFs, which I thought was interesting. Slim and Org, the obesity ETFs and the organics ETF. And I don't think that was really Janice's personality. When you think Janice, do you really think like, like themes and fads? So I think Janice this year, they've seen a lot of money into VNLA, which is the um, uh, their bond ETF. I think it really speaks to when an issuer uh, goes against who they are. And I don't think they you find a lot of success doing that. I think you kind of have to stick to your DNA, what you're good at, what you're comfortable with. And I think Janish this year closing their wild NC-17 products, as well as these wacky themes, shows that they probably had a conversation of like who they want to be. And they're like, let's just be us. And I think that'll happen more and more. Janish this past, you know, in October, October, uh, launched a CLO, a collateralized loan obligation, ETF, J, and then triple A. Um, so, you know, piggybacking off of what you said with the VNLA product, they, their focus is more within fixed income uh, with their lineup and, and using some of their in-house capabilities. So, yes, we're certainly seeing asset managers refocus their priorities uh, like we saw with Global X earlier. It's frustrating, though, because... The, the themes and the crazy stuff gets a lot of the press attention. You know, um, the, the short duration bond ETF is just, you know, the 36th version, you know, one of them, it just puts you to sleep. But if that's who you are, I think that these firms are going to continue to be who they are, especially the new ones coming in with active non-transparent ETFs and such. Fixed income also viewed as a growth opportunity by most of the industry, too. So. Well, I think on the topic of of these funds closing, I think it really is. It seems like Eric had a, had a good point about a lot of them are closing kind of early, and that when I was looking at the list of funds that had closed this year, um, there was a good portion that had launched only in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, and so 
you know, maybe not quite giving them a chance. Um, and then I also think sort of the wild card, especially this year, is the Robin Hood crowd and kind of what products they could launch or could latch on to. And, you know, who can predict that almost? So it's um, I think that's a big factor this year that's sort of thrown into the mix. Yeah, that's a good point, Claire. And, I, you know, I, I believe the record holder for the shortest lifespan ever was about six months. Um, the Trade War ETF, remember that came out to a lot of press attention. It launched in June 2019 and closed by Christmas. Um, so, I, I'm, you know, it's possible we'll see something with a shorter lifespan than that. But that is really short. I mean, th- this thing only gave itself a couple months. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if we see more of that. Yeah. And to me, that seems like that must point to a change in issue or strategy. I mean, I can't imagine it just, you know, didn't get enough demand within six months. It definitely seems like, you know, you would want it to have more of a chance to, to you know, come to life. By the way, remember the trade war? It does seem like a lifetime ago <laughs> that that was really relevant. I've got to say, this is note to self why you don't want to launch an ETF based on a news cycle, I think. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Todd, we brought up Robinhood a second ago. Um, are there ETFs that either the Robinhood crowd helped drive out of existence that that stood out to you, or that were com- compounded by their interest in various fads? I'll call them. Sure. So we don't we don't think that you know the the trading crowd is actually driving products out. They're actually keeping some of the products afloat. Uh, so a product like JETS that I touched on earlier found investor interest through this uh, more retail trading audience. I think these more tactical and uh, thematic and higher risk, high reward products uh, likely had a chance to succeed. And so we probably still have some of these leveraged and inverse products that are hanging on because of a trading crowd. It's these you know products that, that really just don't, that aren't performing well, that fit into a niche uh, that makes sense to that audience that just had a challenge and particularly international investing products. You know, U.S. Uh, retail investors just don't really want to touch a narrowly focused, you know, Japan or, or, or single country product. Okay, so we've talked about some issuers, uh, Janus, for instance, Invesco, who cold more than anybody else. Who's not contributing to the graveyard, Todd? Yeah, I mean, Vanguard and Schwab are the you know number two and, and number five largest ETF providers. They perennially don't cut. I don't think Vanguard or Schwab has actually cut any of their ETFs. Uh, certainly Vanguard hasn't. 
they obviously have more assets in in a concentrated number of products, but they're more prudent in their overall strategy. So I think that's logical that we haven't seen them this year or in prior years. Um, so those are two that come to mind. You know, we saw Wisdom Tree that that made some cuts. We saw DWS. We saw Global X that made some cuts, just rounding out the rest of the top ten that I can think of. And then you know, JP Morgan made a couple of them. And I, you know, Eric, I think in, in, it was something you wanted to touch on. You know, JP Morgan that is relatively new to the ETF market. You know, cut not their cheap beta products and not their smart beta products, but something in more of the alternative world. Yeah. Th- this is a space, the alternative world, where you take a hedge fund strategy like long short um, or a, 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 a multi strategy. I think they had an event driven, and you try to democratize it in an ETF. When they launched these, the JP Morgan head of ETF said, We want to democratize hedge funds. This has been said over and over, like every three years, and it just can't happen. My theory is uh, beta, it works too well. In other words, just investing in the SP is just too good. Nobody needs alts. Why would you need that when the market is just so on fire? Bonds and stocks. And the other thing is I think they're pretty pricey. I think uh, the hedge fund category, I would like to see a Vanguard come in and Vanguard it with like a 20-bip hedge fund ETF or a rock star manager like a Cliff Asnes launch like an AQR, AQR uh, version or ETF version of his fund. I think that could jack up or beta just stops working and people all of a sudden look for alternatives. But that category, no one has been able to crack the code on that really in 10, 15 years, and including JP Morgan with all their might, power, and pocketbook. Well, I think it's um, interesting you, you talk about how they're trying to like, democratize it for the masses, because I think it points to the fact that having a narrative in terms of these strategies and these products is is really important now. And, you know, that narrative obviously wasn't didn't work out that well. But I think, you know, we've seen a huge growth in thematic funds this year that kind of have that narrative. So I think as the market becomes more crowded and as it's harder to, you know, have these funds be successful, what kind of narrative you're pushing out as you launch can really make or break you. Speaking of narratives, Eric, there's another ticker on your list here, HYND. That was almost built for an era that never came. Can you talk more about what happened with that one? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of calling this type of situation the waiting for Godot problem, which is when you 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 think this thing's going to happen and it just never does. So there was a whole bunch of ETFs launched called rate hedged ETFs, and they were designed to do well when rates rose because everybody's like, oh, rates are definitely going to rise again, right? They go up, they, they go down. They couldn't go any lower. Right. Well, they did. <laughs> and they kept going lower and lower. Remember, how many articles, Todd, do you think there have been with how to play ETFs for rising rates, but they never went up. So HYND was one for the Wisdom Tree closed this year. And there's been a couple of rate hedged ETFs that have closed and their moment just never came. And I'm going to throw this out there to you guys just to get some controversy going. I think we're going to see a bunch of ESG ETFs close the next couple of years too. I don't, and that moment just isn't going to come. I mean, the, the Fed has said they're, they're on hold for the foreseeable future. So, you know, I know DWS and ProShares have some of these rate hedge products and, and they've closed other products this year and in prior years. So it's, it's conceivable that those products uh, are, have a short lifespan as well. There's limited assets in them for the right reasons. They've been performing poorly uh, in the latest environment. There's just more products to be cut. Well, did, you, did you mention ESG ETFs? Yeah, I'm basically saying that Maybe not to the extent, because there is some assets in ESG, 
but the product per asset level is through the roof. There's just so much of a supply of products, and it looks like everybody's not slowing down anytime soon. I bet ESG in three or four years when we all meet up again on Halloween, we're ESG is going to make up like a third of the uh, graveyard. Yeah, I totally agree. I think unless like your BlackRock, um, you know, there's so many assets in just a couple of those funds. And I think that, um, yeah, there's so many products launching. It seems like sort of a fad. Um, they can't all gather as much money. And I, I think it also depends on what's under the hood in the ESG, you know, whether it's just, you know, companies that, that don't have really bad things going on, or if it's like renewable or clean energy, there's very much a differentiation between that. I disagree. I mean, ESG is the wave of the future. I think the data says that the assets are certainly saying it. Yes, there's more products right now than there are assets, but it's going to be, we're hearing more from advisors that are building strategies using ESG only. And we have firms that are replacing core with their ESG there's going to be closures naturally. There's going to be closures in any space, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to the currency hedge wave of launches and closures three years from now. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I mean, I think the other wild card is what happens with the presidential election. Um, you know, we've been reporting a lot on Robinhood traders and some that I've talked to have said that, you know, they're going to be watching on election night. And if there's a Biden win, they may plow money into some of these ESG funds. So that's another factor. Take that, Eric. Yeah, look, some, I think Claire has it right. There'll be a couple ESG ETFs that hog up most of the assets, but I mean, there's just way too many. And I think that, um, I forget what it's called, but this polling service called it, uh, oh, I, I, sampling bias, or uh, I forget what the word was, but it's when you, when you do a survey or a poll and the person doesn't want to say their real feelings for fear of being judged by the survey person. And I just think that ESG has been inflated in the surveys because who, who wants to act, like, say, oh, I'm not into ESG? This be like, oh, what are you, a bad person? I think the whole thing's been overinflated. And the other thing is, let's say the energy sector starts to rebound because ESG's had a nice run where tech is beating energy, which is ESG ETFs are largely overweight tech, underweight energy. If that changes for a couple of years and the performance lags, that's when I think there'll be outflows and that's when there's going to be a bunch of closures. I think ESG is built on a trade, which is tech beating energy. And people just don't even know that. They just think, oh, it's ESG working. No, it's just that tech's having a nice run and energy sucks right now. But I could be wrong. We'll see. We, it's all on tape now. 
I will say, I think there could be more of a lingering death for some of these ESG funds. I, I do agree that they'll eventually be in the graveyard, but I wonder maybe if, you know, because it's such a compelling narrative, you know, we want to invest with their values, some of these issuers will kind of stick it out and, and let it die a slow death. Sort of like Linus in the pumpkin patch, like waiting for the great pumpkin. He's just going <laughs> to sit there and keep saying the great pumpkin's coming. Uh, th these ESG, look, advisors want ESG. It's going to say it year after year after year. Yeah. And, and the, the advisors don't want ESG. <laughs> um, I mean, you guys are, are raining on the ESG parade, but you're quite comfortable that we've got seven cannabis ETFs and we've got six video game ETFs and we've got eight of this up other upcoming category. It's crowded in a lot of places in the ETF market. We're going to see closures that take place because there are going to be winners and losers, but there, there's, there is broader demand for ESG over some of these other subcategories. Absolutely. Themes will always be on the list. They're, they're just, but a cannabis ETF here and there, a video game ETF here and there. What I'm saying is ESG is going to be like currency hedging, where there's like a mass culling of products where you see like 10 on the list or 15 in a year, not like one or two. But I agree with you. Uh, themes... A lot of themes are spaghetti at the wall. I think there's no doubt about it. Okay. We've come to that part of the program where we have to talk about favorite tickers. Only this time, we're going to have a little twist on it, which is if you could resurrect one of the tickers that ended up in this year's ETF graveyard, which would it be? Todd, what's yours? So the Direxian uh, leverage products and, and inverse products just always have great tickers around it. And so as a New Yorker with an accent, uh, family that has accents around it, talk, T-A-W-K, is just a great ticker. Uh, I don't know what it's going to come back as. Maybe it's a the next 5G ETF. Uh, but, Reincarnation. But, but, but everybody at home, say the, say the letters T-A-W-K out loud with the best New York accent and you can find. And, and Claire, if you could bring something back uh, from the grave, what, what what's your ticker from this year? Easy. It's the dogs, D-O-G-S. Um, the actual fund strategy was really complicated, but the ticker I love, and I'm a huge dog lover, getting a puppy in January, so that would be the one for me. It was a, a well-timed adoption there. Um, and, and Eric, yeah. how, about, how about for you? I'm going to stick with what, to I mean, I like directions too. The one that I was drawn to for the 10 years that it was out or whatever is gas X. To me, this just seems because it was always the top or the bottom performer because it's a natural gas leverage three times. And I just always thought of like the, the CVS brand of Pepto-Bismol that you go, you know, buy after you've had like too much McDonald's or something. I don't know why that just <laughs> gas X just sounds like <laughs> generic Pepto. And I just, I just always like that. This All right. portion of Trillions is sponsored by Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> All right, Todd, Claire, thank you both for joining us on Trillions. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. You can find Claire Ballantine at CFB underscore 18 and Todd at Todd CFRA. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. 
Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.